Greetings everybody, it's a blessing for me to minister to you today and to serve you with the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God's influence on humanity, bringing us eternal life. I would like to welcome everybody that is slotting in for the first time in our webcast. I trust this message is going to bless you richly. I also just want to welcome everybody that slots in regularly. Thank you for allowing me to serve you with the good news. Let us just pray together as we start this service. Father, I want to thank you for your goodness. I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for the love that you have towards us. I want to thank you that you have decided from before the world began that you're going to give us life. And this life is in your Son, not in our works. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you speak powerfully through me today, ministering the life of God to people that we all can have peace, the fruit of the Spirit, as we are awaiting the hope of our salvation, the redemption of our bodies. Thank you for clarity and just the gift of sharing your gospel in a powerful way unto the edification of all the hearers. Amen. <clears throat> Today I'm going to be teaching on the manifestation of the sons of God. We have heard many times about the manifestation of the sons of God and that creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. And then we basically take that passage and we say, since we are the children of God, according to John chapter 1 verse 12, because the Bible says, as many as believed on him to them gave he the right to become the sons of God or to become the children of God. We come to the bottom line conclusion that says, well, if we are now the children of God and creation waits for the manifestation of these sons, we need to start to manifest the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this manifestation of the kingdom of God is then seen in manifesting the supernatural, which is signs, wonders, and miracles. And then there is an obligation placed upon us. Many times it's just uh, all done by yourself and your own misunderstanding of the scriptures. It's not something that God has done. And you take the burden upon yourself, which is to manifest the kingdom of God. And the only way you can think of manifesting the kingdom of God is to do what Jesus did when he was on the earth, when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, and then he did some miracles. And unbeknowing to people, they put a force or a burden upon themselves to produce the supernatural. And from there, I believe a lot of weird things start to take place in the church. It's not supposed to be there. And from there, people find their identity. They feel good or they feel bad or they feel successful, or unsuccessful and so forth based on how they are manifested as sons. And then when we look at the world, we see things in the world is not the way it's supposed to be. There is immediately guilt in the heart of the Christian because he feels it is time for me to pull up my socks and to be the sons of God or the son of God in this world. And I must now bring peace to this world by some, superna some supernatural power, which we then think is the Holy Spirit. And then from there, uh, should that not work, we go into different things of trying to get this power to manifest, things like different kinds of fastings, uh, many things we do, prayer together, groups, I don't know what, I mean, we've, we are very creative in 
our ways of trying to get the power of the Spirit to manifest so that we can be the manifested sons of God in the world. But we're going to look at that passage and what it truly says. And you're going to see that you cannot manifest as a son. You cannot manifest as a son. It is for God to manifest you as a son. You cannot manifest yourself as the Son of God or the children of God in this world. It is absolutely impossible, uh, especially if you want to use Romans 8 in its true context, you're going to see that it is God that promises us that He shall manifest us as sons, and that manifestation would be the redemption of our bodies, which is the full glorification of us wherein we receive eternal life bodily so i just want to say to you there is a rest for you there is a rest from your works there is a rest from your guilt and the obligation that you felt all the time to manifest as a son especially now in these times we see the the coronavirus going everywhere and uh, people asking where's the church why are we not binding the spirit of the coronavirus and now then all of a sudden the world is now fine and it is just gone uh, somebody goes on television and they give one good prayer and uh, then it is all over manifesting as a son of God ruling and reigning why is that not taking place uh, I mean it is it is something that is then put upon the Christians and we are feeling guilty. It is, it's not happening. We feel it's supposed to be like that. And where's the church? Guilt comes to the church. And this time, I just feel the church should be able to have rest because they know that they have eternal life in Jesus Christ and that in the end, um, mortality cannot inherit immortality. It is something that we are clothed upon by God. Amen. Okay, like, let us read from Romans chapter 8, verse 14. <clears throat> um, now, before we read, I just have got something in the notes here. You know, the greatest terror in this time, with this virus going throughout the earth, is we're going to lose our lives. That is the greatest thing, the greatest fear. It is the fear of death. And what we find in the church, church people are as afraid as all other people, because we are scared of losing our lives we don't want to lose our lives there's something inside us that says we belong in the physical we belong in this world there is a desire to live forever there's there's, there's not a desire to die and when we look at salvation and the in this case of the the virus that's going all over the world what is the definition of salvation? The definition of salvation is for our lives to be kept safe and for us not to die or to be infected with this coronavirus. So we clearly see what the natural inclination of a human being is. It is for us to live and not die. And that is correct. That is the way it is supposed to be. God has come to give us life and not death. That is what he desires for us. That's why for us, you know, when we look at us as Christians, although many of us believe that when we die, we'll go to heaven and be at a safe place there, none of us want to die physically. Why is that? We all want to continue to live. If a person right now that believes in going to heaven when he dies and that being a better place, 
um, and that he needs to be saved from his body to go to heaven and that heaven is his destination. If he gets the coronavirus now, any sickness, doesn't matter what it is, cancer or any of those things, what will they do? They're going to change their eating habits. They're going to change many of their habits. They're going to go to a doctor. They're going to do the, their best. They will go for prayer. 99% of people will do that. Why? Because he doesn't want to die. Why don't we want to die? Because there's something inside us that says that God has made us for life. And that is why Jesus Christ came and he conquered death. He was raised from the dead so that he can give us life. Amen. That is so simple. The greatest terror that is, there is in the world right now, and I think a lot of it is also um, pushed by the news media, is this thing of this coronavirus and what is what it what we can lose is our lives and that is the thing we're scared of in the fear of death although we believe that we can go to heaven and be happy there there's still a fear and jesus come to conquer that fear and we're going to look at that in the light of the manifested sons of god right romans eight fourteen, for as many as are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of god that would let their means to be brought forth Okay, those who are brought forth or manifested or those who have the fruit of the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That is verse 15, Romans 8, 15. So it says, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That bondage that he talks about there, the spirit of bondage, uh, again to fear is basically re uh, referring to finding life in your flesh that is what he's talking about the bondage there is to be bound to find life by your own ability and i don't have time to go through all the scriptures explaining that but you can go to galatians 6 8 1 corinthians 15 42 as well as second peter 1 verse 4 those who want watch it later you can just jot that down and go and read it says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We have received the Holy Spirit whereby we can say we've been adopted unto God, wherein God is now the one that must sort out our death problem and bring life to us. We're not afraid anymore because we're not bound, by our, bound to our own ability to produce life in ourselves. We have now been adopted unto God. We have been placed in front of the throne of God. We've got Jesus as our high priest, and it is his job to bring life in us. That's why we don't fear anymore. Why don't we fear? Because we see that Jesus knows how to conquer death itself. By him seated, being seated as a human at the right hand of God. Okay, Romans 8.16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs of, heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. I don't want to go too deep into that. There's other verses we want to get to, but just in short, what he is saying is, if we're willing to suffer with him, we'll be glorified with him. And what I see there is that Paul was talking about people being persecuted for the gospel. And what he is saying is, believe this truth and keep believing this truth unto the end. Don't desert it halfway. It is to be believed unto the end. 
Then Romans 8.18 For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. So what he's saying is, is that we are suffering maybe in this world, but what will be revealed in us cannot be compared to what we are going through now. He says, for the earnest expectation of the creature or creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. He says, what shall be revealed in us is so massive. It's to the point that everything in this world waits for us to be manifested as God's sons. It says, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we, for we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Okay. So what is, what is he saying here? Paul comes and he basically says um, from verse 14 that those who are brought forth by the Spirit, they are the sons of God and not those who are brought forth by willpower or their own works or trying to obey the law or any of those things. Not those who through circumcision and the customs of the law that are brought forth as sons. No, those who are brought forth by God as sons, those are the true sons. We don't have to fear death anymore because we are now in front of God's throne and it is for him to bring forth life in us. The Spirit of God is already showing in our lives now that we are the children of God by the fruit of the Spirit that we are bearing. And when we look at the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, things like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, temper, temperance, faithfulness, and so forth, when we look at all of that, it is beautiful and um, it, it is wonderful, but yet we are also beholding other things in our lives. We do behold that in the church we find poverty, we find people that are sick, we find people that die, we find corruption still in our bodies, but we reckon that the suffering of this world and the persecution that we find in this world and all of that cannot be compared to what God is going to do through us. Because Maybe now as the church, we are not seeing the manifestation of the kingdom of God as we think it's supposed to be through us as the church. We might look at the world, we might look at uh, what is happening in the world, the corruption that is inside this world, wars and rumors of wars and all those kind of things. And why, we might say, but are we effective as the church? Are we getting things right the way we think we're supposed to get things right in this world? Paul says, well, man, the, the things of this world that we see now, the, the, the sufferings of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So what Paul is saying, he's basically saying, even if we're not getting it right as the church right now, as we think it's supposed to happen that all life and all glory just breaks loose and floods everywhere and everything. Um, in, in the meantime, instead of 
being conquerors in the world and the church taking over, we're finding we're being persecuted. We're finding that we're being oppressed and mocked and beaten and people locked up. And uh, in, in, in many countries, churches are not, cannot have their services because they are oppressed. Uh, if we look at politics, there's so much done against the church these days, you know, where people are doing away with uh, marriage and uh, all those kind of things. You know, things are being done against the church all the time. Instead of taking over and the kingdom manifesting, we're oppressed. What Paul says, listen, don't worry. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And then he goes on, he says, for the creation, the, the whole creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So what he's saying is he's saying, listen, man, if you're not seeing the church getting right, what it's supposed to get right right now, instead the church is being persecuted and going through difficult times and all of that. Don't try and compare what you're seeing now with what shall be revealed in us in the day of Jesus Christ. This creation and everything here is waiting for God to reveal us as his sons. We are now the sons of God, but what we are does not yet appear. But when he comes, John says, in the day he comes, we shall see him as he is and we shall be as he is. And what we are now does not yet appear. But in that day, in the day that Jesus returns, we shall, uh, who we are shall show. And that is what everything is waiting for. So let us not now get into a place where we want to take the burden of being manifested as sons unto ourselves, trying to... Bring forth what God has given by promise. Let us patiently wait. And in these times, keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God, who is our life. And when he appears, we shall appear with him in glory. Hallelujah. Let us not try to jump the gun. Let us patiently wait. And you know, as you patiently wait, for the return of Christ, we find that the spirit whereby we are waiting and wherein we are waiting, by which we are adopted unto him, brings forth love and peace and kindness and goodness and all those things in our lives. In our lives also comes forth things like signs, wonders and miracles. Um, the laying on of hands, seeing the sick being healed and all of that. And all those things then serves as signs of what is actually hidden inside us, which only God can reveal and which only God can manifest in the last day. That is how it is. So now we can have peace in a world where we can come to the conclusion that Paul comes to in the end of Romans chapter 8, wherein he says... Um, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors, verse 37, through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor principality, nor power, nor thing present, nor thing to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you see that Paul says that nothing that happens to me today... In all these things, in all these oppressions, where we 
are the sons, but it's not manifested that we are sons. It is no indication on what we are. Neither is Paul trying to change all these things. He's simply patiently waiting for God to manifest him as a son. We are the sons of God now, but what we are does not yet appear. And it is God's job to bring it into manifestation. Hands off. Hands off, church. Let us not go, and let me just challenge all my preacher friends, let us not go right now and start to preach teaching and preach messages where we say, we must manifest ourselves as sons. If you are teaching that, you are preaching the same message that Satan preached to Adam. Wherein Adam said, God said unto Adam, here's the tree of life, which meant that through me, I will manifest you as my son. You'll be born of me in eating of that tree. But Satan said to him, listen man, you can manifest yourself as a son of God or as a God by your own power. You right now, before God has said, before God do it, you do it now. There's no waiting, there's no patience, there's no reliance upon God. It is you grabbing what God has promised, thinking by your own power you can bring it forth. You cannot. You're going to destroy your life, you're going to destroy the church, you're going to destroy people, and the church will again be a laughing stock, but not because of righteousness, but because of stupidity. And that is a problem. If they laugh at us because we believe that we will be bodily raised, if they laugh at us because we believe that bodily we will be able to possess immortality, if they laugh at us because we are believing that this whole creation can be glorified with a glory that is equal to that of God, which has got no beginning and no end, because we believe in a man that 2,000 years ago rose from the dead, who is seated at the right hand of God, who is Lord, whom we confess as Lord in the hope of the salvation of our bodies. If they mock us because of that, that is fine then we're suffering persecution the way Jesus has suffered persecution and let it be. But if they mock us because we're trying to manifest those things by our own power now, prior to the time when God will bring it forth, and we all the time show ourselves as not having the manifestation of that glory, being mocked for our own efforts to try and live by the law, that is not good. That is stupidity and unnecessary. It's bringing shame to the church. Let us not do that. Let us rather believe in what Jesus Christ has said and have the fruit, the first fruit right now, which comes from that expectation, as we're going to see further on in these scriptures. Okay, let us read from verse 19, it says again, for the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Just for those of you that say that that passage refers to the Gentiles, I have, um, I've read the commentaries on that, but I simply don't agree because of the um, following verses that says that all of creation awaits that does not refer to the gentiles it can include the gentiles but it talks about all created things amen just for those that are scholarly and study these things out right verse 20 for the creature was made subject to vanity not willingly but by reason of of him that subject the same in hope i can't don't have time to explain that verse verse 21 because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Listen to this. For creation itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain until now. So what it's saying is, is 
all of creation is groaning and is travailing in pain until now. So creation says, what I'm experiencing is not right. I'm not supposed to die. Things are not supposed to go this way. And there's an expectation that I have, an expectation of glorification. I know what I've been made for. I know what I've been destined for. And I'm waiting for God to glorify the church from where we will co-explode in the very same glory as what they have. Verse 23 and not only creation, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to witness the redemption of our bodies. So what is he saying? It says here that creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. So creation is groaning, saying, oh, I wish for these sons of God, which we already are, that God manifests them as his sons. In other words, that God shows to all the angels and everything in creation that these people are the sons of God. You know, we are not always treated by others as the sons of God. Those who don't believe in God, uh, governments and, and people in this world that are against Christians, they don't treat us as the sons of God. They just think, oh, well, you know, these stupid Christians, you know, that believe weird things that that is not especially the enlightened ones of this world. Some of the atheists, they are looking down on the Christians. They're not seeing us as sons of God. No, they're thinking us looking at us as the deceived not the sons of God, but we are the sons of God. But what we are does not appear. But there'll come a day when God will raise us up out of the graves, when those who are alive at the time will explode in the glorification that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ right now as he's seated at the right hand of God and all will see who the sons of God is. Those who have believed will explode into that and all of creation will explode into that. And those who have not believed in that will go into death. That is what will happen. But we shall be manifested as the sons of God, for we are the sons of God. Like Jesus. Nobody thought Jesus, or very few, Peter men mentioned it, but the people didn't think Jesus is the son of God when he walked on the earth. He was a mortal man like all of us. He could become tired and hungry. He would come to uh, a, a pit where there was water and, and he would send his disciples to go and buy food because he was tired. Who would think he's the son of God when he's tired? When he goes into the desert and he's hungry, needing food. Who would say he's a son of God, needing no food, having no beginning, uh, beginning or end of days? Who is living forever? Who would say he's that? Nobody. When he was on the cross dying, nobody would think he is actually the son of God. But when he was raised from the dead and he conquered death, then they said, well, God lives forever. And here is a man that has conquered death. Truly, he is born of God. He is God's son. So we shall, we are the sons of God, but what we are does not manifest yet. Okay. Verse 21, because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So creation waits and is groaning for what? For the manifestation of the sons. 
but it says, we co-grown with them. So we are not manifested sons, and it's not for us to manifest ourselves as immortal. Who now, by super faith, can make his own body immortal? Nobody. Nobody. There were people that preached it, and a lot of them, are, they are dead today. It doesn't work. It is for us to patiently wait. That's what it's about. So this burden of trying to manifest as sons is lifted off us. But creation itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation grows and travails in pain until right now. But not only they, but we who already have the first fruit of the Spirit. We already seeing in our lives the first signs of this resurrection power in us. We also groan, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, I want to go to some scriptures, 2 Corinthians 3.17, explaining this manifestation and how it takes place. It says now, we have the first fruit of the Spirit. It says verse 17, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what is he saying? He says that Jesus at the right hand of God is the Spirit whereby we have life. The physical human Jesus at the right hand of God is the life-giving Spirit whereby we have life. And as we are beholding the resurrected Jesus at the right hand of the Father that cannot die as a human, and we are not beholding the law as a way unto life, but we are beholding him as our high priest who makes intercession for us, whose job it is to bring life to us. As we behold him, we are changed into the very same image as by the Spirit. So we don't have the glory of the flesh anymore or the glory of the earthy anymore. But we're now starting to see the first signs of the glory of the heavenly. We are seeing the fruit of the Spirit, the resurrected Jesus in our lives. And in the last day, the full manifestation of who and what we are. And that would be our glorification, full glorification, full manifestation, which is the salvation of our bodies. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5 reads it this way, and let me explain this looking into the glorified Jesus more. It says, for we preach not ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul understands when he says that is, we're not preaching what we must do. We are preaching that Jesus was raised, that he is the Messiah of all people, and he is the Lord, lording it over sin and death. Trust him. That is what he's preaching. But we preach ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded light to shine out of darkness, has shined into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For we know that if our earthly, excuse me, we will still read that one. I just want to stop there. So he says here that we're not preaching ourselves. We're not preaching what we must do. We are your servants to minister unto you 
that the glory of God is shining in the face of Jesus Christ. And he has enlightened us with a revelation that there is a man seated at the right hand of God that possesses eternal life bodily that cannot die. This man is Lord of the whole world and has received this world as his inheritance. So he's inherited us. And since we are his and he possesses all life, he's going to see that all that is his lives forever. That is what we are preaching. So he is saying, and, and I want to connect these two verses. We are now the sons of God. How do we see, how do we, how do we not manifest, how do we become the sons of God? We look at the resurrected Jesus and we are not looking at the law. We're not looking at the law unto life. We're not looking unto ourselves to manifest life or bring forth life to preserve our own lives. We are looking at the resurrected Jesus Christ. And we are seeing that the glory of God is shining in the face of a man. And that man is Lord, and since he is a human, glorified to that place, and he was given all authority in heaven and earth, it means I can now say he's Lord over me, putting me under his lordship and jurisdiction willingly, receiving his power over me. And as I behold the glory of God in the face of a man, I, from, I start to live from that reality and from that truth. Amen. Glory to God. Isn't God good? God is so, so good. Let's read it again. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. Our, and ourselves your servants. For God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shone into our hearts. So what is illuminating us? What illuminates us? The light of the knowledge that the glory of God is in the face of a man, Jesus. That illuminates us. What brings light to your life is the revelation of bodily resurrection and the hope to have the same. That's what enlightens you. That's what brings forth the fruit of the Spirit in you. And sadly in the church, that message is lost. It's not in the church. But many of us must say, but bad, you know, we say Christ in me, the hope of glory. And, but we don't even understand what that means. We say Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are thinking that Jesus is living in me. I've got the hope to go to heaven. But that is not what Paul meant by that. Christ in us, the hope of glory, was actually saying the Messiah is now amongst Jew and Gentile and the Messiah is the hope of bodily resurrection and bodily immortality. That is what Paul meant by that passage. We don't understand that the message of the resurrection is lost. The message of the resurrection is not powerfully preached in the church anymore. If we understood the resurrection message, we would not be tempted to think that we must manifest ourselves as the sons of God. It is for God to do that. I'm going to read one more verse here, talking about being delivered from corruption and that the, the creation groans and that we groan with it. It says here in 2 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that if our earthly house, this tabernacle, be dissolved, means if we die, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For 
In this we groan, remember the groaning, creation groans and we groan. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. It doesn't say earnestly desiring to go to heaven. It says earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. And what is that house? If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not that we should be unclothed, but that we should be clothed upon. And now he explains what it means. That mortality might be swallowed up by life. <laughs> so what is he saying? He's saying, we that are in this mortal bodies, we are not desiring to let go of our mortal bodies. We are desiring for our mortal bodies to become immortal. And that is the groaning that we have and the groaning that all of creation has. That is what it, see, what it says. So we know that, and let me just read verse 27 there, uh, 20, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. Oh, sorry, verse 24. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he hope for it? So he says, we are saved by hope. We are groaning. We are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Verse 23, verse 24. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what does a man see? Why does he yet hope for it? So we are hoping to be further clothed in our bodies. And as we are hoping for this, we are saved from trying to manifest sonship by our own works. For we are living by the hope that God will do it. That, that's how we are saved from being tempted to go into the law. For we know God will do it and not ourselves. It says, likewise, in this way, in as we are hoping for God to bring forth bodily immortality, the Spirit helps our infirmities and bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in us. So can you see, we're hoping for it, we're waiting for it, we patiently wait, and as we patiently wait, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. I'm going to go a little bit over the normal time that I preach. I just want to finish these few verses here. It says in verse 29, For whom he did foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. So Jesus was born from the dead. He's the firstborn amongst many brethren. He glorified Christ and he will glorify you. Verse 30. Then verse 31. What shall we say of these things? What shall we say of God that has promised us eternal life and we are being persecuted by the world or we are seeing weakness in our bodies? What shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God promised us this life and raised Christ from the dead, who can be against us? Because if people People would kill us we'll just be raised if some virus kills us how can it be against us in any form or fashion we shall just be raised and we shall live forever in this world for the Almighty God has promised us and he has proven it in raising Jesus from the dead and he made him Lord glory to that's what we look at that's where our eyes are focused and that is the truth about our lives he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall not 
with him also freely give us all things. The all things here doesn't talk about cars and houses and all these things. The all things talks about the glorification of our bodies and through us then the glorification of everything. Hallelujah. Amen. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who will condemn us? No one. Christ is the one that died, is rather that is risen, who is even at the right hand of God. Isn't that beautiful? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine? There's famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Can it separate us from the love of Christ? The love of Christ is defined as God promising us bodily eternal life and fulfilling it. Who can separate me from having that eternal life? Nothing. Nothing. As it's written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life. In other words, neither if I die now or if somebody tells me, uh, you know, we're not going to kill you as a Christian. We're going to allow you to live Neither death nor life, nor power nor principality, no government, no ruler, nothing. Not, neither things present nor things that can come in the future, nor the height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Or in other words, nothing can separate me from having the life God has promised me. For I have this treasure of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus. I've, I'm burying it inside me. Although I have an earthen vessel. But I know. That this earthen vessel. Shall be glorified. And from this truth. I have peace. I have kindness. I have love. I see people all as equal. I love. I can be kind. And I can be a bearer of this life. Amen. So let us patiently wait. For what God has done. And so by the spirit. Be saved from our infirmities now. And live by the fruit of the spirit. Signs, wonders and miracles. And all those that effortly manifest. As we patiently wait upon him. Glory to God. Let me pray for you. Father I want to thank you so much. For your gospel. I want to thank you so much for your truth. I want to thank you. That we can have peace in this world. We are beholding the glory of God, the glory of eternal life, shining in the body of a man seated at the right hand of God who is our Lord. Thank you for your life that is shining over us. I declare healing for every person that is watching, signs, wonders and miracles showing forth in people's lives. Thank you, Father, for strengthening your people as we patiently wait for you to manifest us as your sons. We are your sons and we know the fullness of what we are shall manifest by you in the day of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for watching and then I will see you again tomorrow as we are making messages every day, uploading it to Facebook. God bless.